So your first record, though, we're just getting to the really good stuff now, 2011. Uh, you finally came with your solo debut. And, you know, what finally got you to come out and do your own? And um, what were some of the the bumps and bruises and, and, and triumphs of that process for you? Well, I really wanted to, um, like I said, one of my... Big fans, or not big fans, but big heroes of Zoozilla. I wanted to let him know that, hey man, I need you to do another album. So I'm gonna do one. So if I do one, you're gonna we're gonna get your other album done. So it's kind of almost like a double dare thing. And so I said, I'm gonna put one out, and then guess what? You're next. We're gonna finish your second album. So <clears throat> really, no bumps and bruises. It just started coming. Um, I like. Um, if you listen to that first, was well, I guess it's the second track, um, Planet P. That's my ode to my new wave style because it's it's what a fast upbeat. It's no funk. It's all <laughs> it's all you know new wave style. Even with the loud clap on top of it, but I wanted to just say, okay, I'm gonna come different. I don't think no one's gonna expect a funk album to start like this and like B52s or something. That, Another one of my favorites, Rock Lobster, Planet Claire, all of that stuff, man. That uh, <laughs> I didn't fit the mode of, of most folks um, that I would hang with because I would put on Rock Lobster in a second and start rocking out to it. Or Planet Claire, she came from Planet Claire. Duh, 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 duh. I, I was like, this is nice because no one else was coming like that. So. That that first track, Planet P, long story short, that was my ode to the, the 80s new wave type stuff. But then I wanted to dive head deep as I could to beware the sample troll immediately to say, okay, don't see if you're still with me, hang on. So we're going to get back to the funk right now. And that was the beware the sample troll track. What inspired that for you, like uh, lyrically? All right, well. I don't know. We may have to cut some of this out. So uh, that's, you might want to mark this part because, uh, and you tell me if this is something we PC correct for the ways. At that time, I remember George going through some stuff with um, Armin with some of his Funkadelic records. <clears throat> and he was uh, truly trolling George for his own music because. I don't know what the litigation was, but it was just so much stuff going on to where you couldn't even certain Funkadelic records, George didn't even have control over. I thought that was, that's sickening, man. If you don't have control over your own music, because I look at all my music, my songs, let alone albums, just my songs. I look at them as 
my creations, right? And if somebody is going to say, no, they're not yours, they're mine, uh, I, I have a problem with that. Now, story goes that George signed them over, but George is saying, no, I didn't. So that's what, that's the true birth of beware the sound control. I'm saying beware of anyone that wants to take control over your creations. Kind of deep, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's like what Prince fought against too when he put the slave on his face. And... Absolutely. Yeah. See, and you know, it, it's a dual-edged sword. I mean, I get it. If I'm a big company and I'm going to pay for all your studio time and <clears throat> production and and distribution and and all this stuff, I get it. They want to make their money back because it's a business, right? It's a business. And that's the dark side of the music. So that's why when it comes to are you going to make the choice of is it going to be for the art and the love or is it truly strictly business? When you just start talking strictly business, it can get pretty dark and eerie. So I understand what Prince was talking about. I understand what George was talking about. By all that happening, <coughs> excuse me, with all that happening, it made me say even more so. I'm going to do this at my level. I'm not going to worry about getting signed. I'm not going to worry about getting a contract. <clears throat> I want to be able to do it myself, put it out at my time and my pace, and <clears throat> most of all, own it at all. I have my own publishing, I own my copyrights, anything. So if anybody wants to use any of those songs, they end up in a movie 10 years from now. Great. I own them. Not Armin or somebody else at Warner Brothers or somebody down the block or <clears throat> I do mm -hmm. and that's what I would tell any musician this day number one own your publishing <clears throat> and also own your mastering what was your process though and and you know from that point on with your own records how do you uh, formulate the tracks you know what do you usually uh, lay down first and what's your process I would say 99% of the time, it's always going to be that the drum track. I always got to get the, whether it's the rhythm machine or live drums or whatever, it's something that's got to hold that foundation. Then most likely it'll be the bass or synthesized bass. Then some rhythm guitars and keyboards. And then just try to take it from there and create that track. And then I kind of steal from... <clears throat> The concept that, that uh, Zuzilla was uh, doing back with my tracks in the early days, I want to listen to the track and see if it starts talking to me. <laughs> so once it starts talking to me, then I can come up with my concepts of what I want to put on top of it. And then that's pretty much how it's born. So the lyrics and the vocals would be the last thing usually? Most of the time, but sometimes I'll get an idea of a concept like, um, this one track that I'm working on for Zoot right now, uh, kind of taking a little bit from the Funkadelic days. Uh, Spit don't make babies, but it's but but it's got your DNA. So <laughs> makes me laugh because it, it, when you, you hear it, just we always like to try to be silly serious, if you will, kind of like how forefathers were you know have have a, a silly something silly out there but kind of be serious at the same time it's kind of a spin on how you have all these uh 
23 and me companies how they all you got to do is spit in a little bottle and send it off and they could tell you everything about you kind of interesting yeah some people are really into that too yeah I, I, yes they are <clears throat> i'm like hey I, I can't wait till that track is done because it's gonna be it's, it's gonna be kind of crazy <laughs> Which uh, which of the instruments do you feel the most affinity for, or you feel most accomplished and comfortable with? Uh, it's funny because it depends on the time. What and it's it's funny that you ask that because some days I'll just have the rhythm track, the the drum track going, and in my mind I'll say, okay, you're the bass player. You're the, you're the, the you're the bass player. Don't worry about trying to add more to the drums or see what else. You're the bass player hired for this track. So when that happens, 100% bass, 100. After that's done, if I'm getting ready to start tinkering with the guitar, I phase out everything and just say, you're the guitar player. Don't worry about anything else, guitar. So. <clears throat> same way with the keyboard if i'm trying to do something with the, with that mold keyboard i don't want to worry about any and anything else so it's, it's truly a balance i try to love them all the same whenever i got them in my hand so uh, if i really had to pick one i probably couldn't because i would feel like i'm leaving the other one out so it's, i want to say it's a pretty equal balance drums was the number one thing i, I started with trumpet you know horn sections i love horns uh, <clears throat> but the foundation is always going to be that the drums and and the bass and even if it's the synthesized bass or the um, string bass so i don't even know if i answered your question i i don't I, it's hard for me to just pick one yeah no you answered it fine um okay yeah on that on that record, I gotta mention um, mm -hmm. where'd you get that funk from? Mm -hmm. And uh, you get loud. Those two in a row. I mean, you were really getting your funkadelic on. <laughs> well, of course. Where where'd you get that funk from? I was. That's a that's a spin off of the P right there. Cause if people don't know where I'm getting that funk from, man, let me tell you, I'm getting it from the P. That's part of my DNA. I never was truly in the band, but I was a part of the band. I mean, it, in my mind, and just learning from those guys and how they would just—it would be an army of people. And then if I'm like, if I can remotely get even close to what they were doing with just me, myself, and I—wow, you've achieved something. So yeah, where'd you get your funk from? You get loud. That's kind of like a watch out here we come please move out the way we're coming through type song so and that's what you know i love about your <coughs> records too is you know there like and you know what just on that track um it just just made me have a quick flashback i actually submitted that song we get loud to the nba back then <laughs> they sent me a letter saying we'll keep you in mind for sponsorship i think i got it around this somewhere it's kind of funny I don't know what made me want to send it. it that never floated. So anyway, that was funny, though. That was before the Warriors dynasty. Absolutely. <laughs> Man, can you imagine? Could I rode that way with him? 
Let's not talk about the Warriors right now, though, because that's a. Uh, I see you no, got that no, late. Been a bit of a change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if you noticed that, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I see. Yes, it's hey. right here in my face. I see. <laughs> well, I was trying to. I, I gotta say those on these records. I love the way Parliament and Funkadelic live together. You know, it's like. Mm. There's the P had had it separate mostly. They kind of started to get blurred later on, but but you got them both like as if it was back in the day, and there was no separation of Parliament and Funkadelic. No, no need to be on different labels. Just put it all in one. Here you go, take it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And I got to tell you, this track not long ago is one huh? of my all-time favorites. Years. What really? That that, that riff, man. <laughs> Now that that that's so weird to me because that's you know how what you know what the funk they always have these song called doo doo chasers and, and what to me a doo doo chaser was it was kind of like okay here here's something I'm I'm not being serious at all with this track here you go it's a doo doo chaser so he, that was one of my doo doo chasers and to hear you say that was the one, one of the ones. that's that's funny to me man that's but that's good. See, that's what I'm talking about. You see how it all just kind of, well, something that might be somebody's, ah, I'm not really into it, but then somebody else might truly dig it. No, that one remind that one has, the riff to that is sort of like something maybe in his freakier moments Prince might have done or something like mm-hmm. that. You know? Right, right. Right, and see, and my mind is so all over the place because I'm, I never really sit down and say, oh, I'm going to do this, and I want it to sound like P-Funk. I want it to sound like... It comes out. So some parts may sound like Prince. Some parts may sound like the funk. <clears throat> some may sound like the B-52s. But that's, like you said, that's the whole thing of bringing it all together to try to get a uniqueness out of it. I mean, every note on the keyboard has been played. Let's be clear here. Every single note by now has been played. It's all about how do you blend them and arrange them. One of the greatest keyboard players of all times, Mr. Juni, Juni Morrison, would say, it can be arranged, man. It can all be arranged. And those are words to live by because they can. I mean, anything can be arranged if you just take your time and try to make it happen. And then always, always add your little uniqueness on top of it. I like that impersonation. That's like, I think, uh, for knee deep, right? <laughs> yeah, it can be arranged, man. It can all be arranged, man. Oh, um, man. Yeah, I never met him. I mean, what an enigma um, he was. But um, you never met Junie, did you? No, but you know, uh, Rick did an interview on that on his album, his album that I did for Rick. He actually put one of the interviews on one of his songs. And what did he say? Um, the keyboard wizard. He, uh, he, he, he's just. The way he would arrange stuff, because, you know, he arranged One Nation and Knee Deep. It, it just took the funk into this elevation of hits now, you know, because they before One Nation, I mean, Funkadelic was like, nah, you don't really hear the stuff on the radio by then. But, of course, you know, that's on your shirt that it says One Nation. That just, that just flipped the script. It was like, now everybody knows Funkadelic. Everybody knows about Funkadelic. Let's go back and see what they were doing back then. 
I remember some of those album covers, <clears throat> not to get too far off track. Those album covers back in the day used to scare me, man. I didn't know what the heck I was looking at. I was like, what the? <laughs> me too, man. We're just, you know, kids, basically, yeah. Right, right. We were. And see, that's, see, a lot of folks, you know, the younger generation be like, what you talking about? It's just cartoons. So, but, but for us, it was like, man, and there was music going with it, too. And then if you read some of the stuff that Pedro was writing about, I was like, oh, my goodness, what is this stuff, man? <laughs> you know what was awesome about it, too, was... Um, that music back then, it was so deep that there was a lot of it that you would get so much more through repeated listenings. Oh, right. You right. know, it wasn't like so superficial, like so much of today's music. It's like, that's all there is to it, really. You're not going to get more on repeated listenings. On their stuff, every time through, it would be like something else clicking, you know. And yeah. It was back then being subliminal was in now nothing it, it i don't mean this in a bad way i know somebody might see this and say ah he's just old once we got into our gangster rap stuff and we started telling it as it is it left out room for imagination and what i mean by that exactly what you just said <clears throat> we would listen to that other stuff over and over again back then and would kind of learn or, or unlock something that was subliminally tucked away it wasn't in your face you know but no disrespect to the to the rappers of the day or back then even because i even evolved because i i would do subliminal stuff but then at later on some of the albums i started pretty much just started saying blah 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 bringing it right to your face on some of them so i get it but that's part of the fun that has been removed from a lot of the stuff that's out there right now what they did uh, mostly was took the most overt elements of it and carry that forward. And, and yeah, the layers got lost. <clears throat> right. Right. And like everything changes. I mean, it, that's the consistent thing in life. Things are going to change. If, if, if you can't change, things are still going to change with or without you. So okay. it'd be good to kind of change or at least keep your mind open for change. You don't necessarily even have to change, but just be aware of it happening. Mm -hmm. Well, even like for us, I mean, I'm sure when you start getting into rap, when rap came in, you probably had friends or people you knew that maybe were into funk or whatever and refused to kind of go along with that. Of course. I was like, yeah. man, why are they cutting? Why are they only using that part of the song? Why? Are they, yeah. No, that's not. No, man, that's it's evolved. It started to evolve. And that and you I've seen interviews where George said, man, thank, thank goodness for that, because that helped keep the funk alive. Because it right but around that time, it was it was, you know, needed to be resuscitated. It needed to get pumped back up. And that actually brought it back around again to another whole generation to those who wanted to learn more about music, where those tracks were originally coming from. And the same thing too, I think with uh, rock getting mixed with it, with like the Chili Peppers and, you know, people like that coming in too. That was when when George produced their album, I was like, oh man, this is this is some next level stuff right here. That, that just took it and <clears throat> it, it, it when I heard it, it was like, okay, this is what it would sound like if it was only four funkadelic. 
playing at one time. I was like, oh, this is it kind of took me back to the the old Funkadella, like the super stupid days when it would just be Eddie. Uh, 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 Billy Bates. Else? Uh, uh, Billy Bass, and it would just be, you know, that chord. That's what the Chili Peppers reminded me of, but with more of a, with a almost a, a rap tone on top of it. So uh, before we leave this record, I just wanted to uh, mention gener Generated Funk. Was that sort of like a Generator Pop? Was that even mine? <laughs> generator Pop, Generated Funk. That It was almost like a, a doo-doo chase or two, because I've I was like, I, I I like this, but man, it sounds so, if you will, disco-y. But I like to break it down and strip it so I can say, okay, what's happening? Are we partying to this? Are we going to try to learn to this? No, let's do a little bit of both. I'm, I'm just going to talk about you hear it in the news and you hear it in the air. That, that, turn around, you look around, nobody's standing there. All that type of stuff. It was truly a uh, a track that I wanted to hit, wanted to put the guitar on it, but I wanted to blend the genres as well. That was that was a blending of a little bit of rock, a little bit of uh, I don't know was EDM even happening then? Because that, that generator pop had that little you know, so it was very similar to that. <clears throat> I remember um, I was hanging out with um, Bootsy's manager in the early '80s, George Cachadorian, and um, George came out, generator pop came out. And his manager was just like, man, what is George doing? He was like so down on that. And I was like, I don't think it's so bad. <laughs> Generated pop. You see, I, that was, you know, uh, that was around the time of hydraulic pump, too. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of transforming going on from our funk as we knew it to where he was trying to get to. If I'm not mistaken, he was going to start doing his solo albums, right? Because it had—I don't know if he had already did. Um, I think I think one solo game. album had, had come out. I think. Um, so it, I saw that transition because that was yeah. on the. Uh, I didn't hear that. Uh oh. Let's try that again. My computer's over here talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I thought someone actually came in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the generated funk man. That was that was that was a fun track. This just landed on that. That was a fun track, man. Fourth project you had uh, Trinity Revolution. Yeah, the new Trinity Revolution. That was a collaboration of Zootzilla, PTFI, and Doctor Illustine again. And that's a that was another compilation of tracks because. Dr. Ellenstein got some studio time and hooked up with George and he got his daughter, not George's daughter, but it, uh, Dr. Ellenstein's daughter to do this rap for um, Barack Obama in the White House, a letter to the president. That's kind of what got that whole project going. So that's why it's the ninth uh, of the ninth song is the title of the album is nine but that whole concept was getting um, her to do her song with joe and he made that happen so that's we're kind of working in reverse because i think that's the last track on that album if i'm not mistaken you're so, right yep yeah 
<clears throat> so, but yeah, it, it, so, I mean, Funkin' Terrors should know that that record, from what I can see, has the most P-Funk involved. It's got Trailu, it's got uh, Boogie. Oh, man, rest his soul. That's right. Yeah. Cordell Boogie, my song. That's French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once again, that's that's Dr. Illenstein making all of these uh, connections, if you will. Uh, we were at his studio when we did um, the Busy Butt, which was an original track from a guy named Tiny. And he's probably going to see this. Shouts out to Tiny. Um, he uh, did the bottom track. He did the bass line, the drum beat. And uh, he had some type of uh, guitar type keyboard thing that he had. Uh, he sent me the track, wanted me to originally work on it. I let Cordell listen to it when I was at the studio with him. He was like, oh, man, that's awesome. Let, let's do it. I said, man, do you really want to do that one? Come on, man, I got some more. Let me play some more for you, right? I thought he was, I want to play on this one. And all those little licks you hear in there, I did not know he was that awesome of a guitar player. That that blew my mind. I just thought he was, you know, boogie on bass. I thought he was, maybe. But, you know, when you're doing that for a living and you're witnessing the mothership come down 13,000 times, I'm sure you pick up different instruments over time. And when he put that guitar piece together on there, I was blown away. I didn't, like I said, I didn't know Boogie was that deep on guitar. He was just, just splanking it all over. You got to meet him? Yeah, yeah we were in the studio at the same time when he was, um, I, I'll send you a picture. I'm pretty sure I got some. He's, uh, I forgot what he said. It, it, did he consider himself the, the black leprechaun or something? <laughs> Something crazy he said. I just died laughing. But man, one of the most genuinest people you would ever want to meet. Just like how we're sitting there conversating, it's the same way. It was mellow as can be. I mean, it just, man, it's amazing, man. Some of those folks aren't with us anymore, man. Kind of, uh, you know, we lost, we lost, we're talking about the 2010s. We lost so many of them during the 2010s. Damn shame. Um, but you know, we got to keep their music and memories alive. For, Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, because when I talk about it, as you see, it brings a smile to my face, and hopefully, they can see you know, it didn't do nothing but bring joy. It was nothing, you know, too deep. He, that guy was just mellow as could be. And one of the most easiest artists I've ever worked with, getting them to record on that on that track. It was, I mean, it was nothing. No, it, it was just as if he just pulled out the guitar once again, played it on my guitar. So I was, I was like, "Here, man, that was another all-time high." So is it? Is it one of those? He just laid it down with. Oh, uh, let me see which one. Yep, yeah, that one over there. The, the the strat in the corner next to that crazy lamp of mine over there. Can you see it? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one that uh, Boogie's played it. Um, Mike's played it. Uh, who else? You know, because sometimes when we hook up with these guys and they're in the studio and they don't have their acts, I'm like, I got mine right here. Here you go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that that one's got some history on it. It's got some really good tones on it. So, And they seem to like it, so no complaints. 
Did, did you get to meet uh, George? Got some of DNA. Say that again. Also, did you get to uh, interact with George on that record, or did he oh. just do it uh, remotely, or what? No, this was um, at for this album. George's parts were recorded at um, at Ron Cat's studio. Um, so we met him after. Um, I want to say it was the day before a show out in the city, and he was in town, and um, I had talked to uh, Ron and and um, Gil. He had talked to Ron, and we said we what we told him what we wanted to do because in his studio he had a nice isolated room where we can do the vocals. He said sure, no problem, and um, I was in the room when he was doing this. Uh, George is <laughs> George is a nut man. <laughs> He just makes me. Uh, Georgia listened to something, uh, and it depends on how heavy he wants to get with the tracks. But for this one, for the one with uh, Lil T, uh, the, for the uh, letter to the president song, he was just laid back. He listened to what she was saying and was playing around, going back and forth with her. They, they had a really good time doing the track. So I, I was truly just a, a big fan in the studio right there, checking it out. We, I, we really hadn't started to work um, to where doing parts and arranging stuff. That came later on once we get to the uh, Zuzilla second CD project where we really were man. And a little more regimented with. Okay, did you freeze on me? There you go. No, no. Yeah, so that rolls right into so the zoots. Um, I, I can call him zoot now too, right? Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. Zoot, zoot, zoot. His uh, next record came out in uh, 2012, and um, that's a strong record. Man, I that one we put a lot of time into, but I tell you, it, it's different from his first album, but still got the same tonation, if you will. And then the first track off the jump with George, I got the harmonizer, got the Sir Nose effect going. We got it, it's just got the horn section going, got the 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 Moog bass going. It's just that's something wicked was really something wicked. I, that's one of my favorite tracks on the album, the opening one. It's like a hit you in the face, here we go. And the harmonizing that George was doing, he took his time. He listened to the track. This one was this was at another studio. This wasn't at Ron Cass or or Eels or or mine. This was um I can't even remember the name of the studio, but but Zoo that hooked it up to where he wanted George to be on this album, you know, especially for his second album. He wanted to come stronger than ever. And um, at first, <clears throat> at the end of the, the session, I looked at Zoot and I said, man, I, I don't know if this is going to work. And what I was thinking I, I, I had forgot about the whole Junie concept of it can be arranged. It can all be arranged. Because what Georgia did, he had did like four different takes on certain parts. And it would they would be layered in such a way to where when it, if you just heard it by itself, it wouldn't make any sense at all. But when I 
got the tracks back to my studio and I listened to them, put them to the track, zero out. And I'm like, ah, I see how he's doing it. It's almost as if he knew that if he did this section here, I would be able to take that and put it for the the chorus or either I would be able to put it for like the intro or either towards it. It was like he was prearranging while he was also singing his parts. It, it was weird because I'm telling you, when, when I first left, I was like, what? And, and Sue said, Phil, don't worry. We got it. This is going to be it, man. It's going to be a cool track. And lo and behold, once I got it back, like I said, it just, it, all the pieces, it was like a puzzle. All the pieces just fell into place. I mean, from the beginning to, yeah, yeah, I can smell it. I can smell it. If you know, I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? And then all the way to the end to where he's just harmonizing. I was like, okay, it makes sense now. So. It's funny to hear you tell that story because I recently um, interviewed John uh, Hines, who is the guy behind uh, Big Old Nasty Get Down. Oh, yeah. And worked yeah. a lot with Gary Scheider. Mm. And he told the story about Gary that was almost the same. He oh. said Gary in the studio would like do all these different vocal things, and they didn't seem to make any sense. And he didn't know what he was doing. And then later on, they got put together, and it was like genius. <laughs> so, and that's, that's probably how they've done their stuff in the past. And, you know, I've heard the story of mm-hmm. Atomic Dog, how they never planned on it to be that way when George first went in there, you know, kind of feeling his way. He said, man, this track is going backwards. What do you, what do you want me to do with this mess? It's going backwards. <laughs> I'm like, but one of the best songs of all time, right? Once you start to arrange that's why i always give props to anybody that knows how to arrange when you see some of the credits and they say arranged by those are kind of some of your true geniuses because you can be the baddest instrumentalist or bassist or keyboard and just you know just all over the place you know just scholar if you can't arrange it and if it's not it's it's like wow he's great but if it's not arranged within what you're trying to really truly do, it's just another great musician, which is cool. But if you're trying to arrange it within a song format, within a track to where people can truly feel it, such as you or whoever, you want to make sure that it's arranged so they're just not hearing someone just solo. They're actually feeling someone solo and and it needs to come in and it needs to leave. It doesn't need to stay there forever, unless that's what the vibe you're going for. But if you're trying to truly arrange, it really takes some, and I don't like to use that word a lot, it takes some genius to arrange some stuff sometimes because sometimes it's all over the place and, and it ends up just being, okay, one of those tracks that are all over the place. So It's funny because I think, yeah, no, I, you make a great point. I think most, you know, produced, written, and perform those get like all the glory but uh yeah i think the unsung part of that is arranged you know who was a genius at arranging you know was bernie if you go back and look at some of the, those credits he did a lot of arrangements and when i really became became more of a fan of arrangements when i started seeing and hearing what he was actually doing because i can hear different horn tracks and i'll be like man that doesn't fit there but then 
as you play it back, like how we do on some of our tracks, it does fit because it's just adding more. Uh, it's sewing the track together more. And that's, like I said, when it comes to arranging, that's, that's, that's truly genius. I think also uh, Fred Wesley and his horn arrangements. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and that Fred has so much funk in him; it's ridiculous, man. He has more funk in his uh, little pinky than I do in my whole body, probably, man. That's just that that dude has paid his dues, and uh, you know, I, we haven't got to it yet, but you know, we were lucky enough to get him on one of uh, Ricky's tracks where he did a horn solo, so. That was, I wasn't in the studio with them. They got, they sent me the tracks. It was one of those type of things where he pretty much sent the tracks, but still needed to be arranged a little bit, but not a lot. I mean, because he was, it's Fred. Blow, Fred, blow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for those uh, watching, listening, something wicked, did, did, um, did, did that get pushed out to radio at all or to the clubs or? Now, uh, the only thing that got pushed, and, and see, and that's where, that's my Achilles heel, because I've always said, hey, I'm open for anyone that can take it a step further than us, or for or me. If you can take it, take it, because number one, we're going to make sure it's copywritten, make sure we got the publishing. I'm all for any and everybody trying to elevate the funk further than what we can the only thing where it made it to i would say is your itunes apple music spotify you know so streaming has come in it, you know it's, it's it's a it's good and bad streaming will bring you in what two cents per stream <laughs> can't too many people survive off two cents you know for a stream but but it gets the notoriety so people get to hear it that probably wouldn't hear it. So the flip side of it, if anybody wanted to come and maybe sign Zoot, that would be totally up to him. I mean, we're, we're a partnership, but yeah, nobody actually stepped up and said, hey, you know what? Let's sign you to this label. Let's do this. No, that, that never happened. But to me and to him, we're okay with that because we know it was good music. It's solid funk. It's nothing. We didn't cut corners, if you will. You know, we didn't try to fit into a certain mold of the mainstream and try to get it. Yeah. It was zero compromising on all those tracks. And <clears throat> that's still pretty much our format today. We're, we're not going to really compromise to anybody or anything. And, that, you know, that could be our downfall, too, but we're happy. You know, and hopefully the people such as yourself and other folks that like what we do, they're happy too. And we can live happily ever after with that. I love that, man. Uncompromising is the only way to do the funk right. Right on. Um, other tracks on there that just, you know, do it for me. The Conduit. <laughs> the Funky Conduit, yeah. I like the, the rhythm guitar is pretty tight on that one. You know what? That I, I do. I like that one too. And uh, my uh, my buddy who had uh, he has his radio station, Uncut Funk, uh, Philly Phil. Uh, he was on FBRN radio. Now he's on this thing Phil called Spreaker. Yeah, Phil Collie. Yep. <clears throat> he's on Spreaker Radio now. Uh, he was playing 
check this out. He was playing his all-time favorite rhythm guitars. That dude played that song as being one of his all-time favorite riffs for rhythm guitar. I said, man, are you kidding me? Come on, man. I thought, no, don't. You know, he was he was playing all these other Ernie Isley and all these other guys. I said, man, take me out of that list. He said, no, man, that guitar riff is cool. Ding a ding a ding a ding a ding a ding ding. I was like, okay, thank you. I'll take it, man. <laughs> I'll just say thank you. <laughs> that record starts off just so much on fire because Long Gone Fishing too. The third, oh, third track, man. the synth uh, bass on that, you know. Now, now I'll tell you something. Long Gone Fishing is that's between that that song was kind of like um, done almost a year before the um, the whole album was done. We actually put that out as a single, like a little single EP or something like that, and then we ended up re it was almost like a reboot for his album, but. The bass line on that thing is a monster. I mean, <laughs> if, if you got some weak speakers, don't play that song because the bass line is just all over the place. And then I, I, I'd always tell uh, Zoot, like, man, that one right there, that and um, Something Wicked are my two favorites on that album. Yeah, sounds like we're on the same page. Yeah, that bass line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Long Gone Fishing. Yeah, that's that's a good one. And then uh, every time the wind blows is a departure. Mm. It's sort of like um, a Bootsy style slow jam, you know? Yeah, that's uh, let me see. I don't know if you can see it. That that red bass behind me over there. That's my my music man. That that one right there. Ugh. That that song was um, that's actually uh, Zoot's daughter singing with him on that song so that was kind of a special track and yes a departure the the liquid sound that that bass was able to bring and and, and with the beat kind of just and the strings it was it was a very melodic type jam and i like that one too a lot yeah got your uh liquid love bootzilla thing going on now absolutely man i i remember doing an um interview with boosie um uh, and Rick up at KPFA, and I said, "Man, uh, where did you? What made you come up with that liquid sound, man? What was uh, what's that all about? I mean, I had heard stories, and he said, "Well, uh, the girls like it." <laughs> Back then, he said the girls were like. It. I said, "Okay," but for us, not the, not the girls, but for us funk fans, it just sounds like it's like that liquid funk. I mean, it's just something that's coming and going all at the same time so it's so many pedals but that um the mutron it's called the mutron pedal that just gives it that envelope filter where it just takes the bass and just sucks it in and spits it out right back at you with that little liquid slap it's it's nothing like it yeah well to me i always thought out of the whole funk mob bootsy was the one that could do the slow jams the best. You know. It started it with "I'd rather be with you," right? That <clears throat> that right that stretching out in Boosie's Road Band album was a monster. That it was just, I mean, the slow jam, the fast jam. That I don't think they knew how to really push the other jams other than um, all the names, not all the names, but I'm um, stretching out. 
but there's other monster tracks all up and down that album. Oh yeah, I, yeah. It, I mean, all of those records too. I mean, we're talking about being layered and how different things would come forward. Also, what would happen with me and maybe with you too is that over different periods of time, different tracks would be my favorite. I mean, because that's how strong they were. You know, like all of a sudden I'd be like, you know what? Another point of view is my jam on here. You know? I mean, that intro is just sick. Nobody does that stuff, man. You're right. That whole side, all side one is just heavy groove and then flip it over. Remember back when we had to flip records over, then you had the mellow side, right? Yeah. Oh man. So, um, did you mention before? Because uh, uh, you played the Long Beach Funk Festival, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's and we were actually pushing um, that album at that time. Um, uh, uh, man, it's killing me that I can't remember. Oh, Bobby, Bobby Easton. He he really dug the album, uh, and then Rick was helping push it and. They invited us to come down and you know play, get paid and play and have a good time and it was great because that if I'm not mistaken, uh, were the brides I think the brides were hella headlining at that time for that particular one. You know, eventually a couple of years later or either the following year, George and them actually showed up down there and did something on the Queen Mary, which was down there in you know L.A. So down in that Long Beach area, but when we were there. That was uh, that was a really cool time. We we didn't play on the biggest stage. They had like two different stages. We were on the second stage, and then other acts they would bounce back and forth from one stage to the other. But we had a really good um, reception. It was pretty cool. It was that was kind of like okay, kind of we hadn't been gigging as hard, so I had to kind of blow some you know get the dust off and the cobwebs out and do that whole thing and but it was a it was a pretty cool pretty cool concert aside from you know the sort of hassle and rigor of it um you know touring and live shows you know how, how do you feel about um the process of performing itself and the, and the feedback you get from the crowd is that something that you really dig besides the studio stuff Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the part that I, I always miss. You know, it's always like the question and answer. We would like ask the question and if the crowd would answer you back. That was always the feeling that I love. If I said, hey, what's happening? It's like nothing. People checking their phones and hey, that means we ain't funking as hard as we need to be funking. But if I say, hey, what's happening? And they're like, yeah, what's happening? Now you know you're doing what you're supposed to do. So. That that's truly the part that I miss is gigging in front of the folks and getting that question and answer thing coming back and forth. That that was the part I missed. The the lugging the equipment, the setting up, the late hours, and uh, that they can keep all that. I don't, I don't want any parts of that. I, I understand. I understand from the point you know. For many years, I did a lot of mobile disc jockey work, and uh, I don't miss. Yo. I was my own roadie, you know. Hey, wait, but the fact. <laughs> 
see, and that's what see. We didn't have our own roadies, so not only we were musicians and, and artists, we were the roadies, the setup guy, the the engineer, the sound guy. I mean, it was like we're just it was too much. But you know, for the the big acts that have those people to do it for them, that's they need them because that makes their job so they can focus on what they're trying to do, and that's to perform in front of the the group and or in front of the audience and give them what they're paying for. So. I'm all for it. If you got the full, if you got the full production team behind you to help you with that. Oh, oh. didn't imagine when you were DJing, were were you using records, or you came into the DJing back when things made the transition to the MP3? Oh no, um, it's all vinyl, man. Uh, Mark Mark twelve hundred turntables, new Mark mixer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I built all my own. I built all my own. You know, uh, cases and uh, the giant throwing Vegas speakers, man. Oh, those those Vegas. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you pay some dues too. I mean, unless you had your own roadie. Did you have a roadie? My back, my back still feels those days. See, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so you paid your dues then because uh, I, I have nothing but respect for DJs to have to use to carry their own crate. Oh. Record, so yeah, that was. I mean, I dabbled in it a little bit, but I was like, "Oh no, this, no, this is too much." Now, let's hire somebody. <laughs> Have them come in and do it because that's just too much, man. Much respect to the DJs, I tell you. Yeah, I did that for like fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we at here, man? Oh yes, yeah, so, oh, Long Beach. Yeah, I got some memories from there. You know, I had moved. Um, East by the time you did this show um, because I came out here in uh, 06 but um, man I saw some great shows at Long Beach Beach, uh, Arena over the years Um, I'm thinking about uh, Rick James and Prince and um, I was just getting ready to say Rick James he recorded that that live album down there that's right Um, that was back with the which album was that Ghetto Life or no Street Songs Street Street Songs yeah I saw the uh, Prince Vanity and Time show at that arena, um, but I was also there in '86, I think, when uh, it was the Rap Fest, and they had the riot. I don't know if you remember that. Run DMC was headlining, and it was a big riot that Run DMC never even got to take the stage because um, the Crips and the Bloods and started having. They had chosen that concert to have their altercation. And it was crazy, man. It was people were going out, was running through the parking lot, and all these guys were going to their cars and pulling out guns and bats. And <laughs> we're supposed to be, it, you're going to a concert, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy how some folks pick their battlegrounds, right? You know, where innocent people get hurt. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that, that did not, sure that, that times right there. That did not help the rap movement either. When that, of course uh, not. Of course, <laughs> not. of course not. Jeez. So the second coming of the one, 2015. Ah, uh, yeah, that one right there. I, I, I had something to prove again. I was like, okay, I gotta put some more funk out. I, I was doing a lot of recording, and some of the tracks. We're going to be for a zoot, but they ended up 
sitting for a little while, I said, no, you know, this is too good of stuff to be sitting on. Matter of fact, that over and over, I want him to sing the second verse, but, you know, life happens and people have things going on. But so I said, what I'm going to do is just keep this funk going. I will put out something else so that we can say, even though it's PTFI, it's still those main guys that I deal with, like, like Zoo. Uh, Dylan Stein, Ricky Vincent now is even on board. Uh, I just uh, I started using this uh, program. I don't know if you're familiar with it called uh, Omnis Omnisphere. O N O M N I Sphere. Uh, I was able to pull some crazy sounds out of it. So when you listen to some of that stuff on that on that album, I'm using that program, which is part of the I would say the landscape that I use pretty much for that whole album is uh, really just took it into a different direction than previous album. Yeah, I mean the first the first track over and over again. I mean it's epic. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, hey? I like see. I wouldn't say that. But I'll let you say that. I, okay, I'll I'll go with that. I like the word epic. I want to come on and. I mean, you pack you pack these records with music too. That's what I love. You know, it's like you use the full length of a CD, and I mean, these tracks have a length to them. There's plenty, there's a lot of tracks. There's so much music. Uh, I always appreciate that too. You know. You know, it's it's funny that you said it because I had to actually edit some of the songs because I was <clears throat> for this second goal. I remember talking to the professor, uh, Ricky Vincent, he's like, man, some of the songs on the first album are cool, but they're short. I said, yeah, because, you know, I, I just wanted to hit it and quit it. He said, man, you know, don't be breaking the rules, man. Stretch that stuff out. So track one, second CD, I want to make it down there 10 minutes long. I said, is this long enough for you, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was, that's kind of, and I looked, I, I was like, wait a minute, I'm getting to the end of this. this I'm almost at 80 minutes because that's all you could put on a CD. So I, I remember having, I don't know which tracks they were, but I probably had to cut out a verse here or cut out, you know, an end or I don't think I cut any solos out. I may have had to cut them shorter, but I remember saying, damn, this is, an, an, I didn't even want to try to attempt to put out a double CD. So I said, no, let me just make it a full as possible CD. So that's why they're stretched out and hopefully giving you more for what you're fucking for. <laughs> yeah, man. I never I never could understand when you see like critics review records and they say, oh, it would have been so much stronger if it cut some of the stuff out and it was only like 40 tight minutes. You know what? If you want the funk, bring the funk <laughs> and keep bringing it. You know, and it, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I, I get it, cause some folks don't really want to take the ride, right? I mean, it's a ride. Every time I listen to music, it's not physically riding, but it takes your mind on a ride, no matter where it's going. Some people like to go on long rides. Some people like to go right around to the corner store and come on back. Some of us, us funkadelic type folks, we like to go all the way, get on the freeway and ride and, and have our music going, right? So teachers on to the critics, man. I I stopped trying to play for the critics uh, years ago. I, did you ever get, did you get uh, any like reviews on some of those early records? Well, you, the, here, here's what I consider a review. 
because uh, as you, you're going to probably get to it, there's a track called Social Media. So, right. <clears throat> I don't really look towards what, and I don't know if this is going to come across right or wrong. I don't really care what people think, mm-hmm. but I do care what they think at the same time. I, I don't want to fall into a mold of saying, oh, I better not play it that way because this one person said he didn't like it, right? So I try to lean towards different folks who within that I talk to, work with, if they like it, I mean, truly like it, tell me if you don't like it, but if it's something that you like, I can build on that. But if it's something that just one person, and let's say everybody said, oh man, that's just garbage, you know what I mean? I would probably try to do it again just to see if I'm tapping in correctly or not. It's all about tapping in. When you tap into something, hopefully it's always for the good. I like to tap in and hopefully you can go on a ride with it. That's all I try to do. Um, Rick has shared some of his, um, his, uh, you know, he's my number one critic, number one fan. I've, uh, uh, Phil Colley, same thing. Uh, there's some some folks um, that Stefan Stefan Mother Funkin, who I, I quote as my uh, media assassin, he'll send me stuff that people have sent him saying what they like about the album or maybe what they don't like. But if you look for me on social media, you're not going to find me. I'm not a big fan of social media. I'm not a big fan of Facebook. Uh, we could is i believe social media is the next trend about ready to talk about right after over and over that's uh that was the song where um yeah. i said yeah that's okay so uh so we're going to slide into my whole social media concept right here social media is great when it's used but sometimes some people just lose their freaking minds when it comes to social media and what i mean by i don't need to turn on my Facebook back when I had it back then and see something crazy that I wouldn't even no way in this universe I would be remotely interested in. and I don't even want to get into the details of what it was but I saw some pretty crazy stuff and I said you know what that's enough I I'm out I'm not messing with Facebook ever again <laughs> it, it's just too much for me and I was um, I was um, still part of the, the Twitter um, <clears throat> I had to step back from that as well too because it just got a little chaotic if you will um, I saw a lot of things going the wrong way being interpreted wrong not being addressed properly so I'm a true um this is gonna sound bad probably but I'm put it out there I'm, I'm pretty much anti-social media um, as you can probably see in the songs that, that we're going to start talking about as we get deeper to where but those that know me hey I'm a lovable guy I I, I just want the world to be a nice happy place <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of hard to do these days because it's man we've got some competition out there that's not making it so smooth so yeah we shall see 
you know, and that last Parliament album um, has anti-social media on it too. With George talking some about that. Yeah, that was funny because when I heard that, I was like, "Hey, George, where'd you get your phone from?" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's okay, man. It's, it's I have no problem with um, sharing a concept or two because believe me, I borrowed a million concepts from that man. So it's all good. It's all good. I gotta mention some other tracks that um, I really dig on this record. PTFI Radio. I, I like that one too. That's that's a good one. Um, the Come Up. No, oh, the Come Up. Mm-hmm. I remember that one. That was a good one. <laughs> a, lot of par- a lot of Parliament influence. Oh man, yeah. All we want. Funk in that. All we want. Oh yeah, that. that yeah, that was my little girl singing in the background. Uh, yeah, yeah, like that's definitely a fun one. And uh, we'll be one. Oh man, that's that was Ricky Vincent's uh, staple for a second. He liked that one a lot. He actually said he wanted to use the sonic essence of that for his album. I was like, oh, okay, we're gonna use that as the template. I'm with it. Let's do it. <laughs> And Rick actually makes an appearance on that record too, on um, Unclonable. Oh, 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 on the uh, Unclonable. Uh, oh, Unclonable. Drone. <laughs> unclonable zone. Oh, oh, drone. The, unclon- the Unclonable Drone. Yeah, the, the Unclonable Drone is someone who has to try to save the world from not being funky. That's, uh, you, it, you, you can be clone you can be a clone but now with the drone syndrome that we have all these drones around us this guy this unclonable drone is very unique his sole mission is to wipe out all that is evil that's tough huh it's gonna be kind of tough to wipe out all that is evil but somebody's got to do it right yeah they do it just a, a little bit at a time at, Keep on, keep on singing, keep on doing it. Yeah. 